Catch your Bibles, open up to Isaiah 54. We're seven weeks already into the 24th year of our fellowship. Can't believe time, how fast time is going. And the Lord has invited us into an opportunity for a double portion increase. And this increase is something that God wants to bring and is actually starting to bring into our individual lives. And in the first verses of Isaiah 54, there's five action-based instructions that will help us be positioned to receive and participate in this increase. And so this weekend, I want to go back to it. Seven weeks later, I want to unpack it a little more. Isaiah 54, I just want to read these first three verses over us, and then we'll talk through it. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess the nations and settle in their desolate cities. Isaiah 54 starts with an opposite spirit response. Barren, rejoice. Last weekend, Jack shared a very insightful look into an opposite spirit response to suffering. And as he talked about what we're to do about suffering, his message contained several key concepts that can help us reposition ourselves for increase. When we get all funked out by suffering, we get all, why me, Lord, and all that kind of stuff, it moves us in the exact opposite direction of where we need to be going to be lined up for increase. So if you didn't hear Jack's message last week, pull it up on the, on the podcast, listen to it. So many good truths. One of the things I really loved was the thoughts about God's creative work always starting in the darkness. What appears to be darkness, formless, void, chaos, God says, I can work with that. I can work with that. A lot of times we see that and we think, what's going on? What's happening? Where's God? He said, I'm just getting started. That's the canvas for my creativity. In the beginning, when the whole earth, the whole world was formless, chaos, darkness, and void, he spoke, let there be light. And still to this very day, he speaks light. His canvas for creating new things starts in the darkness. And then when we get to see the first light of day, oh, that's what you've been up to the whole time. Also, as we move into an opportunity for increased Jack's reminder about the importance of disciplining ourselves now for the hard times really resonated with me. Listen, there is never a good time to coast spiritually. There's never a good time to coast spiritually. I mean, right now you might be going through the hardest thing you've ever gone to. You're pressing into the Lord. And right now you might have just, it just might be the easiest place that you've ever been in. Regardless, it's always time to press in, to strengthen, to grow, to deepen our walk with the Lord, to keep pursuing. We can't sit back in the easy chair and think, well, well, then when the hard times come, then I'll get in. No, if you're not in when it's now, you won't have anything to get in with when the hard time comes. So right now where we're at, it's time to be engaged in that process. In every season, through the good, the bad, and everything in between, we need to be intentional about growing in the Lord and deepening our spiritual roots. We never know. You never know when the big storm is coming. Ask the people in Florida. You never know. You never know. But Jesus clearly taught in this world, we will have trouble. And the stories in the Bible from cover to cover make it abundantly clear that suffering is part of life on this planet. And no one is exempt, not even Jesus. In Hebrews 5, it says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He was heard because of his reverent submission. 
Last weekend, Jack said, we first have to bend our free will in order to live in and experience God's faithful sovereignty. And as it was with Jesus, so it is with us. Practicing reverent submission is mandatory in order to participate in all that God desires to do in, with, and through our lives. What does it take to live out reverent submission? The Amplified brings an interesting depth to it. Reverent submission comes from a level of devotion to God that shrinks from the horrors of the separation from the bright presence of the Father. Wow, I never thought about it that way. A level of devotion to God that shrinks from the horrors of the separation from the bright presence of the Father. When I read that, I thought, oh my goodness, God help us. It is still far too easy to justify stepping out of that brightness and kind of just spend a little time in the shadows. Far too easy. But I remind you what Romans 6 says, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. And during his 30 plus years on earth, Jesus wasn't just going through the motions. He chose to set aside his divinity and become fully human. And as a human, he chose again and again and again and again to freely experience and model the continuous process of not my will, but yours be done. Jesus kept choosing to keep obeying all the way to the point of laying down his sinless life for the sins of the whole world. In John 10, Jesus said, the reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. The rabbit trail here, one of the important life lessons I've learned about authority is that to be entrusted with authority, we have to learn how to prosper under authority. Now, When your boss is leading and doing things the way that you think they should, and you're just rolling along in harmony with him, you think, I got it. I mean, we're working like this. We're in sync. You think you got under authority, knocked out of the park. But then suddenly your boss starts doing things you don't think they should be doing. And maybe in the process of that, uh, because maybe you have a little attitude about it, or maybe they just got some attitude about it, but they start treating you with a little less respect than what you think you deserve. And right now you've stepped right into the frying pan of learning What do you know about prospering under authority? Because what we find out when things are not going like we think we should, when we're being disrespected or feel like we're being disrespected, when we learn in that situation how to prosper under authority, what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for God to trust us and put us in a position of authority. In the face of real life suffering and hardship, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. Why do we expect anything different? If Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered, why do we tend to push back so hard against him when suffering comes our way? The Message Bible says Jesus learned trusting obedience, trusting obedience. A footnote in the Passion says this Greek word for obedience means to hearken, to listen for a knock on the door, or to pay attention. Jesus' sufferings were seen as lessons of listening to and obeying God. See that? Lessons of listening to and obeying God. Lessons of listening to and obeying God. That sounds a little better than suffering. Lessons of listening to and obeying God. When it comes our way, when suffering comes our way, um, a lot of times we feel abandoned. 
We feel neglected. We feel like we're being done wrong. We, we don't feel like we're having lessons of listening to and obeying God. But we're not abandoned, neglected, or being done wrong. Nothing could be further from the truth. Like Jack shared last week, when we go through our own lessons of listening to and obeying God, Jesus sits in those moments of anguished prayer with us. And the Holy Spirit engages in prayer on our behalf with groans that words cannot express and in accordance with God's will. And beyond that, when suffering comes our way, the Father isn't ever unaware or uninterested. On the contrary, he's actively at work in us in those moments and occasions to grow us up and mature us. God always and only treats us as much-loved children. And as a good, good father, he works discipline into our lives for our good. Now, Hebrews 12 does say that such, pleasant, uh, such discipline is never pleasant in the moment. But then it also says, for those who are trained by it, a harvest of righteousness and peace will be produced. When God is working to renew our minds, he helps us get moving by first communicating a fresh idea like a double portion increase or a healthier way to view our suffering. And if we catch it, if we just get a glimpse of it, then as we take hold of it, God opens up the eyes of our heart to start seeing and looking at things that are happening around us differently. And that starts changing the way we think and process life in real time. And then God secures that new viewpoint by giving us new ways and new vocabulary to express and explain what he's revealing to us. Some of us get really, really, really excited about new things. Some of us just love, love, love new things. And then there's those of us who tend to shrink back from new things. And then the majority, a lot of times, just will keep new things at a safe distance until we find out whether this is good or bad or not. But wherever you are on that spectrum of thing, it seems to me that living in step with the Holy Spirit involves moving. Our God is on the move all the time. Living in step with the Holy Spirit involves moving with him and moving at his pace. If he runs, we need to run. If he stands still, we need to stop and stand still. But more often than not, it seems like he tends to move forward at a steady walking pace. All the way back in Genesis 3, it references the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And so I think one of the ways that we can get realigned with his original intention for us is to just keep choosing to walk with him. Over in Albania, our daughter Faith has a 30-minute walk to school and then a 30-minute walk home after teaching school. Uh, the walk to school is downhill. The walk back home is uphill. And um, that's a lot more walking than she was doing in, uh, in Waco. Uh, but... Uh, as she's been walking and different things like that, she's, they find different ways. She's walked through the roommates, all those kind of things. But one day early in September, uh, she was getting ready to make her way home. It's like, ah, oh, I think the weather is not that nice. And, and uh, she was thinking, ah, oh, I don't want to do it. But anyway, she, you have to. What, what choice do you have? But she got home and she wrote this. Each step, the joy is in each step because there's not a breath, not an ounce of sweat with which you're not familiar you walked where you went to. Yeah. And as I pondered that idea now for about a month, I really think a step-by-step -step walk is the most consistent way that God leads us through each day. And there are many steps to take in a day. But the thing with steps is that they can just be taken one at a time. 
Christine DeMarco's song, Take Courage, starts like this. Slow down, take time, breathe in. He said he'd reveal what's to come. And that usually happens step by step. Step one in Isaiah 54, enlarge the place of your tent, which may even include the decision to get a whole new campsite. I was laughing at the songs we were singing this morning right off the bat. I will make room for you. Do whatever you want to do. You know, here I am. Consume me, God. Everything I have is you. We sing. God said, good, I got you on that. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do. We're just singing songs. We're just worshiping. He's going, nope, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll work with you on that. Bottom line, we're not made to just settle into comfortable routines. Life is here for the living. God has created us to grow and prosper. Jesus came so that we may have life abundant and to the full. Step two, stretch your tent curtains wide. I still think in the roots of this stretching is God's heart for us to live with a more consistent vulnerability. I think that's part of what Jesus meant when he said, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't light a lamp and then put a bowl or a bushel over it. When you light a lamp, you set it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before everyone that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Stretch your tent curtains wide. In his first letter, Peter wrote, live such good and beautiful lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good and beautiful deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Living vulnerably can be uncomfortable sometimes. Can be uncomfortable. But it makes us more touchable. And it makes us more real. Listen, more than ever, the world needs real people right now. There's so many people pretending, so many people bought into crazy things. I saw there was a Mark, a Mark Twain quote I saw that said uh, the difference about fooling people versus convincing them they've been fooled. And there's a lot of people that are living fooled right now. And playing with masks and being different things and wokeness and all this kind of craziness. The world needs real people. The world needs us as believers to stand up and be real and to be honest and to be vulnerable and not like all smiley happy like we don't have any problems in the world. No, we've got problems, but we've got the one who takes us through the problems. We've got the one that is the answer to the problems. We, we got the one that we're standing on that's the rock. And in our hard times and in our good times, he's there with us and it's his goodness that sustains us and supports us. We need to live in that realness. We need to live and model that vulnerability and that truth. And I think living vulnerably also helps us keep walking in the light rather than slinking off and hiding in the shadows. Step three, do not hold back. We all have a by invitation, uh, by name, invitation and calling to move forward and toward God with a do not hold back attitude and approach every day in everything that we do. God wants us to come confidently to him. He wants us to take as much mercy as we need and pull it down into our lives. He wants us to receive infusion after fusion of fresh grace as we partner with him in advancing his kingdom. Step four and five, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. I want to camp out a little bit here uh, today. In the natural, if we expand the dimensions in the roof line of our tent, we need longer cords to keep the tent securely in place. And originally, I talked about this lengthening as having something to do with each of us choosing to be in a growing circle of healthy relationships. Now, the, the challenge of relationships is that there's people involved in them. <laughs> and because of that, every relationship has its challenges and every relationship has its things that you've got to work through. But we really do need each other. We really do. 
And we have so much to gain from shared life and shared experiences together. We like to talk about it here as living out the one another's, loving one another, serving one another, encouraging one another, provoking one another, loving good deeds. And another one, forgiving one another when that's what needs to be done. In Hebrew, this lengthen is something God initiates. It's not a do-it-yourself project. It means to be caused or made longer, literally or figuratively. This word lengthen is used several times to describe a longer, extended life that comes with living in ways that honor the Lord and that honor his ways. But digging deeper into the definition, I found that it can also mean to defer, to draw out, to prolong, and to tarry. And when I got to that part of the definition, I thought, aha, now I've found some of the ways that you lengthen us. To defer, to draw out, to prolong, to tarry. We were talking yesterday with uh, our kids from California, Friday, maybe Friday, with our kids from California. Our grandson out there turned four on Friday, and uh, he and his six-year-old and nine-year-old sister and mom and dad had gone to a kind of a little amusement park area and... and uh, uh, jumped on trampolines and done all kinds of different things like that. And, and uh, as we were talking to him, Margaret, the six-year-old, was a little bit upset because she hadn't gotten to ride one of the rides that she wanted to ride. And she wasn't quite tall enough yet. And she was upset about that. And uh, my son Josiah said to her, you know, just keep hanging on that bar in the back upside down and it will stretch you out and, and get you longer. You know, you'll, you'll grow. And um, she said, that doesn't work. And and, uh, and her older sister says, that doesn't work, Daddy. And uh, his, Leanne chimed in and said, yeah, Noah used to go out in the backyard and do that, you know. But Josiah didn't miss a beat. He just said, well, look, Noah's tall enough now. She got to ride everything she wanted there. It did work. It just didn't work as fast as you thought it would work. And that's the way it is with God a lot of times. There's a reason. There's a reason we can't always do what we want to do when we want to do it. There's a reason six-year-olds can't do and ride rides that nine-year-olds can ride. There's a reason they put height limitations on those things. It's for our own good and for our own safety. But you think, I want to do it right now. Well, I know you, but you're not going to get to. And guess what? That's the way God is with us sometimes too. I want to do it right now. Well, you're not quite ready yet. Got a little more to go. Got a little more to tarry. A little more to prolong. You'll get there. You'll get there because that's my heart for you. That desire in you to want to do that, I put that there. But I'm not going to put you there until you're ready to do that and do it safely and do it well. All these words, defer, draw out, prolong, tarry, have to do with waiting which very few of us cherish and enjoy as much as we should because those that wait upon the Lord renew their strength. Amen. Those that wait upon the Lord run and don't get weary. Those that wait upon the Lord walk and don't get faint. Those that wait upon the Lord soar on wings like eagles. Now, have you ever heard the phrase, the patience of Job? Well, if you know Job's story, none of us are signing up for that course, right? And yet, we all have access to the same source of Job's patience. God has already prepped and set the stage for all the waiting that we have to do in our lives. Part of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. King James says long-suffering. I think I like patience better. But anyway, love, joy, peace, patience. Already in the heart of every born-again believer is all the patience that we will ever need for any circumstance and situation already inside of you. Now, having it in there and knowing how to access it, that's two different stories. But part of working out our salvation is learning how to tap into and make draws upon the patience that God has already deposited in us. And the better we get at that, the more God lengthens 
the reach and the influence of our lives. From Solomon's wisdom in Proverbs, we learn a patient person has great understanding. The patient person knows how to silence strife. Check this one out. Better a patient person than a warrior. Better a patient person than a warrior. And a person's wisdom gives them patience that they demonstrate in their everyday lives. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. In Hebrew, this strengthen is another double-sided word that means to fasten upon, to seize, to be strong, to be courageous. It can also mean to be obstinate, to bind, to restrain, and to conquer. But digging deeper into this definition, God's the initiator, once again, of our ability to do any and all these things. Because this word also means to be caused to be strengthened, cured, healed, repaired, and fortified. One of my favorite verses is 2 Chronicles 16, 9, and it says that God is looking for something, actually someone, for a reason. Now, the whole idea of the all-knowing, omni-everything God looking for anything has always been pretty mind-blowing to me, but I keep coming back to this verse because it says, the eyes of the Lord range and roam to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong and to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That's that same Hebrew word, strength in our states. The eyes of the Lord are looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to show himself strong and to strengthen them. So this cause to be strengthened, cured, healed, repaired, fortified is something God starts in our hearts. He always works from the inside out. And to get the full benefit, we need to have fully committed hearts. Say fully committed hearts. Who fully, fully committed. Now that's a pretty high bar. So I looked at the Amplified to see if I could get a little help, but the Amplified said, a blameless heart toward him. King James says, a perfect heart toward him. I thought, yikes, do any of us qualify for that? But as I kept looking, the answer was, well, yeah, and more of us than you might think at first, because this Hebrew word for um, fully committed, blameless, perfect, is shalem. Same as salem, as in Jerusalem, same word. And it describes... A heart in the process of being completed. A heart that's in the process of being made whole. A heart that's in the process of being perfected by God. It's a heart that's safe, peaceful, at peace, and in covenant with God. Okay, now we're talking. He's the potter, we're the clay, and God is steadily at work perfecting, completing, and making our hearts whole. And in light of that, fully committed sounds a lot less exclusive and a lot more doable. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hear the word of the Lord from Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. You will be my people, and I will be your God, says the Lord. Fast forward into the New Testament. On the other side of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 6, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. This week I stumbled into a deeper reason any of us can have a shalem, a, a, a fully committed, blameless, perfect heart. Today in Israel, uh, if you told someone, I'll pay for something, what you would say is, Ani mi shalem. Ani mi shalem. Same word. Same word. 
So the reason any of us can have a heart that is fully committed, perfect, blameless, is because Jesus has already paid for it. He's already paid for it. In Ephesians 1, it says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known and he will make known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Let me read that to you from the Message Bible. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We are free people free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything that could possibly be needed by us. Letting us in on his plans, he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything we brought together and summed up in him, everything in the deepest heavens, everything on planet Earth, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. And as we make daily choices to live in Christ as well as in step with the Holy Spirit, then we will find ourselves partnering with God in the work of strengthening our stakes as he moves in and around us to bring increase. And I just want to give you a heads up Along with increase comes the dreaded C word, change. Just buckle up your seatbelt and get ready. And instead of going, oh, things are changing, say things are increasing. It'll sound better to your brain. Try it. You'll like it. As he works around us and he brings increase, he will help us be able to fasten upon C's, be strong, be courageous in some obstinate, binding, restraining, and conquering ways. And each time that takes place, God will be causing our heart, soul, mind, and body to be strengthened, cured, healed, repaired, and fortified. And one of the open prophetic words over our fellowship, Graham Cook, referred to us as an Isaiah 35 community. Part of being that includes doing this. Strengthen, same word. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And in these words is both an individual mandate as well as a corporate call to action. As our relational cords are lengthened, we will be better able to help each other strengthen our stakes. And as that takes place in and among us, we'll find ourselves getting even more rooted and established in God's love. There's at least seven different Greek words used for strengthen, sprinkled out the New Testament. And each provides more insights into strengthening our stakes. Just prior to the launch of his public ministry, Jesus spent 40 years in the wilderness. And he was fasting and praying. And at the end of that time, uh, Satan came and tempted him. And then as his public ministry was coming to a close and Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and praying so fervently and with such surrender that he literally sweat drops of blood. It says that there were angels who came and strengthened Jesus. And that word means they came to invigorate him in a time of need. This strength is the combination of in a fixed position of having physical power and energy. And that's one of the things that God still does with angels today. In those times of weakness, when we're at our end, God sends angels to love and minister to us. Sometimes those angels are actually human beings. But the angelic realm is more real than we realize. Cindy and I were driving back from Pagosa Springs a few weeks ago. Outside of Jal, New Mexico, this crazy situation happened where I don't know how we didn't end up in a wreck except angels got us through it. 
a, a truck turned in front of us, and then another truck stopped, and the truck that turned in front of us all of a sudden came back onto the highway and didn't ever look back, didn't ever see us. And I just, we just kind of pushed through, and I don't know how we made it through, but we, and good angels, that's the answer, good angels. You know, they were there protecting us, and God still does that in our lives today. And to the Philippians, Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That strength means to empower, and it's the combination of in a fixed position of dunamis power. And dunamis power is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, as well as the same supernatural, superatomic power that now resides in us because the Holy Spirit is living in our bodies. To the Colossians, Paul wrote that part of living a life worthy of pleasing the Lord and pleasing him in every way includes, a life worthy of the Lord that pleases him every way, includes being strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. And that strengthened means in a fixed position of being enabled, which can mean in a fixed position of being equipped for a specific extended premium use. This equipping connects us to the great endurance and patience we need to joyfully give thanks to the Father in all things. So we can strengthen our stakes because by God's grace, we live in a fixed position of being invigorated, empowered, and equipped. Well, the folks in Sardis were living that way too, but in Revelation 3, Jesus spoke to them and said, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. That word for strength means to turn resolutely, to set fast, to confirm, to establish. Listen, God's not finished with any of us yet. I know that 100% for sure, because if he was, we wouldn't be here anymore. You wake up every day breathing, he's not finished with you yet. That's the way it is. And because of that, we all have things in our life that are unfinished, things that are undone, things that God is still working on. And he is with us to strengthen us. The Holy Spirit is ready, willing, and able to help us reawaken and get after some deeds that are incomplete. They're still there, but they need some fresh life breathed into them. They need to make an adult decision, like Lester said this morning, and step up into another place. In the upper room, uh, you know, all that was going on in the upper room and Jesus is there with his disciples. That, you know, he showed them the fullness of who he was by washing their feet. And, and Peter wasn't too much a fan of that at first. He didn't understand what Jesus was doing. That's how the upper room started. Then we get to the end. They've taken the Lord's Supper. They've done all those kind of things. We get to the end and Jesus comes up to Peter and he goes, Simon, Simon. Peter's like, yeah, yeah, because, you know, John, the one who Jesus loved, had been sitting there by Jesus the whole time, right? Simon, Simon, he's talking, he's talking to me, yeah. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. What? What has Satan asked to do? Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Well, uh, what did you say about that? Well, but I prayed for you, Simon. Oh, good. Uh, what did you pray? <laughs> that your faith may not fail. Okay, that's good. That's good. Thank you, Lord. That's so good. And when you've turned back, what? I pray that your faith would not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. That word strengthen, that's the same one that Jesus spoke to Sardis. Turn resolutely, set fast, confirm, and establish. We all know Peter's story. And turn back, he did. And he did it well. So in line with what Jesus prayed and told Peter to do, let me give Peter the last word this weekend. This is from his first letter, the end of his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 5. God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith, strengthen your stakes. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, lengthen, lengthen your cords, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand together. Oh, Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the plans you have for us. Thank you for all that your grace is doing in us, has done, is doing, and will do. More, Lord. More, Lord. We ask you, Lord, just to keep allowing us to take hold of what you've opened up before us. We, we want to step into all the increase that you've got for us, Lord. Some of that can be mind-blowing or challenging. We just say, yes, we trust you. You know. You know, you know the right time. In the kingdom, timing is everything. And we trust that as you lead us into a new place, we're ready for that. That's why we're there. That's why you led us to that. And so I pray that we would have the confidence to step through the doors. I pray that we'd be able to endure the, the lengthening times. And we would do our part to partner with you in the strengthening times, growing and being rooted and established more and more in your love. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you so much. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your persistence to stay after us. Thank you for the ways you perfectly, unconditionally, extravagantly love us day after day after day. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need some prayer before we leave this morning, if you come forward after the blessing, we'll get some people to pray for you. Uh, Discovery Group starts tonight at 6.30. If you're not signed up yet, just come on and come. We'd love to have you there. We're meeting upstairs in this building at 6.30. Let me speak the blessing over us and we'll be done. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you with the promises of God, which are yea and amen. Be blessed with supernatural strength to turn your eyes from worthless and evil things. And instead, may you behold the wonderful things that God has planned for you. I bless your ears to hear and your eyes to see and your spirit to understand the wonders of our God. May your feet and hands be ever outstretched to help those in need. God's grace be upon your home. And may God give you success and prosperity in your places of labor. May God give you spiritual strength to overcome the evil one and avoid temptation. God's grace be upon you to fulfill your dreams and visions. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you grace and peace. May his mercy and his goodness follow you all the days of your life. And I bless you, I bless you, I bless you, I bless you. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Hey, thank you.